We're excited you're here. Um, happy Father's Day to those who are with us who are fathers this morning. And um, we are um, in Colossians again this week. So we'll be in Colossians chapter 1 as we begin. And uh, that song was perfect for where we're going to be heading actually because um, this morning uh, it's not an easy topic. Um, it's one of those ones that... Uh, I, I did not pick for Father's Day, but you're welcome. Uh, but uh, this morning is going to be this idea of struggling and suffering and doing it all for the gospel of Christ. Um, here, here's the interesting thing. I, um, I knew this was coming, and so I, I texted out um, on Monday or Tuesday. I texted a bunch of people, and I said, hey, do me a favor. If you get a chance, tell me what you think the difference is between the word struggle and the word suffer. And is there a difference, or are they the same thing? And so I got a bunch of different responses. So I'm going to give you a second. Just think for a second, just for yourself. I'm not going to make you answer out loud. But is there a difference in your mind between struggle and suffering? Just think that through one second. Just rotating through, I know. Okay, processing. All right, so here's what I got. Here's a couple of things that kind of came through. Suffering is imposed from the outside. Suffering is. It often feels far more escapable, and there's little you can do about it. So suffering always seems to be at this harder, longer suffering. There's not much hope in suffering, whereas the struggle is imposed from the inside and often feels doable while difficult, you can see hope. And so struggle often in sports is, you know, nobody really likes two-a-days throughout the summer, but we know that the two-a-days are producing what is in you so that when game time comes, you're ready to hit the field. Um, and so struggle sometimes has that kind of like, there's a goal in mind. I know it's going to stink to get there, but I know I can make it. So two weekends ago, my struggle was mulching. Um, it was a big struggle. I was in the third, like we had this four yards in this big old, you know, trailer that, that was dropped off. It was awesome. But on the third scoop, I was like, I'm done. Like, and I had four yards to go and I'm like, this is terrible. And so like, it was that moment that I said, you know what? The struggle is real, Joel. The struggle is real. You're going to make it through this. And I got through all four yards and it was great, but not without some words in my head and other things. So, but, but struggle is different than, than suffering. Um, here's another thing that was mentioned. You can struggle without suffering, but you can't suffer without struggling. Suffering is attaching value or meaning to the struggle is another way is put. Um, a lot of them kind of combine to this definition. Suffering is usually done in isolation, whereas people are more prone to ask for help with struggling or when they struggle. So suffering is usually done more in isolation, whereas people who are struggling, they're probably a little more prone to ask for help. Or to quote the great philosopher, the Seth Mitchell, um, he said this, (laughs) struggling is what the Cleveland Browns do. Suffering is what their fans endure. And that can't be more true. I mean, when I said that, I was like, that's got to go on a slide. So don't tell him that um, because it's going to go to his head and then I have to endure that. So don't don't feed the monster. But suffering and and, and struggle are, are different, but they have kind of the same things in mind. Um, and as you've seen um, recently in the news, um, race and, and racial reconciliation has been a struggle, is a struggle. Um, many have had to suffer through this, even in recent times. Um, just because of being a different race, there's been a lot of struggling and suffering. And then recently now, as well, our brothers and sisters on the police force are suffering as well. Long hours, constant ridicule, and there just seems to be this tension that just is just being fed every single day. 
And as a nation, we're kind of on that precipice of which one do we really honor? And I say we honor both. And we honor those who are in the struggle and are who suffering. And we live in this tension of struggle and suffering. And not only that, but we as a nation apparently know how long we can struggle because COVID has taught us that we can struggle for approximately how long? Right about 40 days. Uh, so about a month and then we're done. So Americans, the test has been proven. After a month, then we start hitting the courthouses and we're like, we're done. We're done with COVID. We've moved on past it, right? So struggle, even in that sense, is real. And um, 2020 has pretty much been shouting suffering and struggle every single week. Like I told you guys last week or the week before when that shuttle thing went up into space and I'm like, please be good, please be good, please be good. Because we don't need another struggle because we've got plenty of it around. And in that sense, Romans 1 is very telling about suffering and struggle and sin as being part of that struggle and part of, that str- part of suffering. Sin is what's behind the struggle and the suffering, and we know that. It's being shouted at us all the time. Even in Paul's day, here's a recent thing that I found out about the church in Colossae. The letter that was written to you is probably written around 59, 58 AD, somewhere around those years. The, the history tells us, though, that around A.D. 61 and A.D. 62, probably just after Paul wrote this letter to a tri-city area of La- Laodicea, the other one's this weird H, uh, let me find it real quick, Herculea. I'm going to struggle with that one. But um, this, these three cities were all within 10 to 15 miles of each other. They were smaller little towns. And it was actually in 61, 62, right after Paul wrote this letter, many believe, there was this massive earthquake and the devastation was so massive, it probably claimed many lives, perhaps even lives of those who heard this letter only years before. So we know we live in a world of struggle and suffering. They're both guaranteed. John 16, 33, Jesus tells us this. I have said these things to you that, that uh, said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but take heart I have overcome the world to give you even more as if you need it in 2018 over 245 million Christians faced intimidation prison or even death for their faith in Jesus that's one in nine that were persecuted for their faith in 2018 alone so we realize struggle and suffering are part of this world. But here's the difference Paul's going to make in this passage today. He's going to say, yes, struggle and suffering are part of that. But this is different. This is struggle and suffering for the advancement of the gospel. We exist, as in one of our mission statements, our mission statement, we say that we exist to be sacrificial. And that sacrificial may mean these physical demonstrations of suffering and struggle. And so here's our main thing this morning. If you check out, here's our main thing. We are to be stewards of suffering and struggle. Happy Father's Day. You're welcome. We are all meant and called by God to be stewards of suffering and struggle, to which many of the men are like, I I know that. I I know. Have you seen my family? I'm constantly in struggle and suffering. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about we are to struggle and suffer for the sake of the gospel. 
And I get you, right? Not many of us want to hear a message like this today. But ultimately, we all, I think there is something in us, especially as guys, that we truly want something deeper, something fuller, something that we don't just have to check in and check out of work, check in and check out of families. Secretly, I think we all want significance. Secretly, we all want more. And this is going to be that more. So let's unpack Colossians chapter 1, 24 to 25 this morning and see what Paul means by stewards of suffering and Struggle. So we're going to start in verse 25 instead of 24. We're going to catch up in a second. But I want to start with this word steward. What does that mean? He says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. This idea of steward, it's the actual definition is official that is appointed by a king to represent them in another country. So if you were asked or tasked by the president of the United States to say, hey, I'm going to make you an ambassador to another country, you would be his mouthpiece in that foreign country. And Paul is saying, I am a steward or I am that appointed by the King Jesus to be a representative in this foreign country. His stewardship actually began in Acts chapter 9, and we read of Paul's story of his conversion there where Jesus blinds him, talks directly to him, and even tells the man who would be Paul's first disciple maker, he says, hey, remind Paul that when I called him to be a steward, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. <laughs> I am so thankful that like, when I accepted Jesus at 6, on the couch with my mom and dad, there wasn't a voice audibly from heaven being like, hey, remind Joel that as soon as he signs up for this Jesus thing, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. Like, I'd be like, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. I'm going back to fifth grade. I'm fine. I don't need this in my life. But to Paul, he says, you must struggle and suffer for my name. And this Paul did. He planted churches, but he took massive amounts of beatings and scourgings and everything, shipwrecks, being bit by a snake, that poisonous snake. And he's like, ah, I got a snake. And he rips it off, throws it in the fire. It's a whole great story. He says all these things were part of his life. He even says in 1 Corinthians 9, this is so encouraging for me, maybe not for you, but for, for me. In 1 Corinthians 9, he even says that he does not often want to preach. <laughs> I'm like, thank you, Paul. There's days, you know, there's moments. He says where he does not want to preach. But he does so because he's an ambassador hired by God and not by the churches he planted. So Paul, steward, says, you, me, all of us, students, kids, you are ambassadors. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this is not like mom and dad's thing. This is your thing, too. He has called you to be ambassadors to your school. You should get like a badge, like you wear it in your school. Be like, by the way, ambassador. And they'll be like, you're a dork. And you're like, I'm fine. It's cool. But, but you are called to be an ambassador to Christ. Even no matter your age, you're called to this. You and me are both, we are all officials that people would see, that when they see us, they would see Jesus. Somebody had once said that Christianity, when you actually break the term down in, in, the, in, in a Greek words and things like that, it actually translates into kind of like this idea of little Christs that you're all little Christ walking around, that when they see you, they see Christ. And he says, because of this, I am an ambassador. And he says, here is my job then as a steward. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Okay, whoa. Step one, rejoicing in sufferings. Not many of us are probably there. Maybe we tolerate them, but we don't rejoice. But then he says, I don't only rejoice in my sufferings for my sake. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. 
In other words, he said, I am glad that I am in prison for you, the church at Colossae, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. He says, I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions for the sake of his body. That means church universal. And to this, in, when I was putting this together, when I hit this, this part, I just stopped. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. Paul, you just told us a couple verses earlier that the, that the fullness of Christ has come and that we have seen the image of the invisible God in Jesus. He has all that we need. And yet now you're telling me you're filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. It's, it's almost that thing in my head where I'm like, are you telling me, Paul, that you are filling up the beatings and crucifixion of Jesus and adding to the cross and that therefore I'm doing so for the sake of the body that is a church of which I'm a steward to which we are stewards so that somehow we are filling and adding to the cross? That makes no sense, Paul, because you've just told us in verse and Bible and Bible, Bible, everything throughout Scripture has been, we are not adding to the cross. And it's true. The thing we could take from this first off is that that does not mean that we are adding to the cross. You can add nothing to the cross of Jesus Christ. To do so would be crazy. And he's not what he's saying when he says filling up the afflictions of Christ. So what on earth does he mean when he says, I am filling up what is lacking? Well, one, one commentator said he's actually talking about revelation. He's talking about the martyrs and that there's got to be a certain number of martyrs before Jesus comes back and you're filling up the amount of martyrs before they get there. And I'm like, ah, it's kind of a stretch. I'm not sure if that's quite it. But here's kind of where I went with this because this word filling up is found two other places. One in, Col- in, first, second, or in Colossians 4 and Philippians 2.30. In Philippians 2.30, there's a story that Paul is in prison again. He's there often. And as he's in prison, there's a guy named Epaphrodites. And Epaphrodites is bringing some books to, to Paul for him to read because he's just caught up in his, I need something, I need some encouragement. And Epaphrodites, on the way to deliver these books, gets really, really sick, almost to the point of dying, it says in, in, uh, in Philippians. And he says, I'm thankful that Epaphrodites is filling up the afflictions, he says. He's doing something by bringing these books to me. And I'm like, okay, well, that doesn't really help because does that mean we're all just supposed to bring books to people and encouragement and that we fill up afflictions? That doesn't make sense. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. I think I can make sense of it here. But he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Verse 8, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 10, I think this is where we're going to start to see this whole idea of filling up what is lacking. Verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. To which you read that and you're like, okay, I'm not sure where you're still going. I think when he's talking about filling up the sufferings of Christ, he is understanding that we are little Christs. We are Christ walking around this world modeling who Jesus is. And in that flesh, we are carrying right now, right here, we are carrying the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested through us as we live in this world. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so the life of Jesus may also be manifested in this mortal flesh. Filling up the suffering of Christ means that we 
as stewards, flesh and bone representatives of Jesus, little Christs, filling up the sufferings mean we as stewards are to live out for everyone to see the sufferings of Jesus. We are to live as he would have. In other words, Jesus isn't physically here, but we are. And so since we are physically here, we are his ambassadors, we are his voice, and so people see us, and as we suffer for the sake of the gospel, we are filling up the afflictions. He says, and as people see us suffer on behalf of Christ, on behalf of the church, we fill up the sufferings of Christ. The body is the physical representative of the head. To put this simply, you're not adding to the cross, but you're taking one for the church. You're not impacting the head, but you're feeling it in the body. In other words, he says that Christ is the head of the church. You are the body. We are the body. When one of us hurts, we all hurt. And I am so thankful for a Paul-like personality who says, I will suffer on the behalf of the entire church. To which your pastor says, I think, I think I'm there. <laughs> I want to be there. I want to be able to struggle and say, I will take one for the team. And I hope that when that time comes, I'm able to do that in a way that honors Christ and honors the body in front of us. But Paul knew it. He did it. And he says, as believers, we who are little Christ walking around, we as representatives, when we suffer for the sake of the gospel, we are filling up the afflictions of Jesus. That's what suffering for the gospel produces. And it's all for the sake of verses 26 and 27, because this is what we're fighting for. We're fighting to give out the message of verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of of this mystery, which is, here it is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you is why we suffer. Christ in you is what we display, the hope of glory. So that's, that was step one. So, I'm, so I'm, I'm doing the research. I'm putting the time. I'm studying on, on the week to get this thing ready. God hits me over the head with that one first, and he starts suffering and filling the fictions of Christ. And I'm thinking, okay, good. We've hit the hard part of this passage. No. Then comes verses 29 to 2, 3, and 4, and 5, to which at this point, at some point during my study, I actually have to shut the door because I'm bawling like a two-year-old child because I've still yet to wrap my mind around all that Paul is getting at here when he says there will also be a struggle for us who are Christians. And he says this in verse 29. Paul is amazing. For this, so for this mystery, for this gospel being presented For this suffering, for this, I toil. Come back to that in a second. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. He packs so much in to so many small verses. He begins with this verb, and he says, I toil. And I'm not smart enough to understand a lot of Greek, so I have to look this stuff up. But here's what this word toil means, and I thought this was interesting because this is what that word toil actually means in the Greek. It's the word kapeo, and again, I had to look it up, so don't think it's got super smart and knows Greek. I don't. I wish I did, but I don't. He says, this word kapeo means to work until worn out 
both physically and mentally. (laughs) Paul says, I work until worn out, physically and mentally weary because I've worked so hard to push the gospel out. To which your pastor reads this and says, Wow, I got a long way to go. (laughs) To toil, to work the physical and mental exhaustion that the gospel would go. I work hard, but I don't know that that typifies, like, that I could truly say I work to the point of exhaustion. I've been there, trust me, I've been there, but I don't know if it's been for the sake of the gospel or, for, or, or if it's been for the sake of producing the next program or the next event or the next thing the church does. Does that make sense? He says, I toil for the sake of the gospel. And here's probably where I get it wrong and where many of us probably get it wrong because I struggle with my energy and my work. And he says, I struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. Paul hasn't even met these guys. He's never been to this church. He's never been to these house places around this little area, this tri-city area. And he says, guys, I am breaking over here for you. I am pleading for you. I am encouraging you. He says, my love for Jesus transcends the body of Christ. Even if I've never met you, I love you and I want more for you. And I sit and I read this. I'm like, God, man, I, I've, I've got so much to do. To learn. I've, I have so much to, 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 to learn about how to work and to warn out that the gospel be presented in this community and abroad, and, and, and not only in abroad here, but I love that Colossians is this little city in this tri-city area of like 10 to 15 miles from each other, and it's this beautiful picture of a church planting a church, planting a church, planting a church, and I'm like, God, that would be awesome if we could do that as community Bible church to, to raise up enough body here and a healthy enough leadership here that we could plant another church. How amazing would that be? but I don't want to do with all my energy. I want to do with the power and energy you work in us. And then he says, this struggle I have for you and for all the churches is this. And so here's the goal of his struggle to which again, I'm, I'm sitting there going, God, I want this to be my struggle, but I don't know that it's my struggle. But, but here's, here's the struggle it is. I, I want that their hearts would be knit together in love, bringing encouragement I pray their hearts would be encouraged, being knit together in love. I I struggle, Paul says, that they would reach full assurance of who Jesus is. And at this part, my mind immediately went to you all. And I thought, that's what I want. That's what I want for this church. More than anything, I want us to be a relational church that is knit together in love and being encouraged and that all of us would have full assurance, even on the days where you mess up completely, even on days where you can't get anything right, 
that you have full assurance of who Jesus is. I want this more than anything for the church, and I don't want us to become another church where, where you can slide in and slide out and never be known. I don't want you to come into a church that's all a bunch of programs, and you can get plugged into a program, but nobody ever knows the real you. I don't want us to be a church to where you can fake it and then go home and live like an idiot for the rest of the week and not have anybody in your life to be like, man, how are you growing in Jesus? Here's the reality. I know that's not for everybody. I know that. I know there are people that come in those doors and they realize if I have to be known, if I have to start putting anything out there of who I really am, people really get to know me, no thank you, I'll go to the church down the road that I don't have to be known. I get that. We've had people actually not say that verbatim, but have lived that out and said, no thank you. But for this church, for where God has called us, for my heart, I want us to know that the struggle is part of the deal and that the struggle is not just struggling because I work hard or whatever. The struggle is that the gospel is getting lived out in us and that we are known by one another. We are living lives that are connected to each other. So that, verse 28, him, Jesus, we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may may present everyone mature in Christ. Two words here that are stuck out in my head and they scare the snot out of me. (laughs) There's two. One, that they would present them mature in Christ. This word mature is probably different depending on which translation of the Bible you own. So ESV says something different. NASB may say something a little different. But here's, here's here's the word. Again, not smart enough to understand it, but the word in Greek is teleon. Okay? And on one sense, the word, on the, on, the, on the lighter sense of what that word could mean, it means full-grown, mature. Okay? That's the one side. That's kind of the lighter version of that, ver- of that word. On the other side of the word, it goes the opposite extreme, and it's the word perfect. <laughs> so Paul is saying, my, my desire is to proclaim Christ that I would present everyone fully grown, mature on one side. Let's at least say that's at least what we're after. Best case scenario, we're seeing each other perfect on this side or on, 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 on the other side of, of this world. And I hear that and I think of the weight that comes on any pastor that says, as a pastor, your role is to do what Paul said to do, and that is to present everyone mature in Christ, so that when I reach eternity, my, my conversation with, with Christ may be a little different than yours in the fact that he's going to say, I entrusted you with the body of Jesus Christ in this community. What did you do with it? How did you present them? Are they mature or are they still infants? Are they fully presented before me as I want them to be? Or did you cower and not say things you needed to say? Did you, did you avoid relationships that could have, been, could have been stronger? Did you do the things I called you to do to pastor this church? Because here's the thing. As a pastor of any church, it's not to stand up here and give good sermons. That's not the point. The point, praise God, by the way. The point 
is that we are to disciple and be in each other's lives, to grow each other towards maturity in Christ. And if, and if you can't get it as far as maturity and perfect, think of this. Leon Crump, who is a, a great pastor in Atlanta, he says this. This term could be kind of a, a instead of saying mature or perfect, think of it in terms of a, a Jesus-oriented kind of life that I am always pushing you personally to live a life that is focused to look more and more and more and more like Jesus until you get to eternity. That's my job in my family. It's my job here. And it's your job to, as we do this together, to point people to a maturity, a Jesus word, not word, W-A-R-D, a Jesus direction kind of life. And then, that's the first thing. And then Paul says, and by the way, I want you to do this. (laughs) Warning everyone, teaching everyone, presenting everyone. I'm like, Paul, that's not fair. Everyone? Are you talking like the entire planet? Are you talking like the entire nation? I'm hoping it's at least like geographical, like maybe just this area, right? But even in this area, if you just take Lawrence Township, 18,000, 16,000 people, I'm hoping it's just that because you go to Mass, it's like 32,000. And you go to Akron, you're like, oh crap, that's even more, right? And so everyone, that's a big, that's a big ask. That's a big ask, right? (laughs) Annunciation. That, that's, a, that's, a big, that's a big job. Everyone? Come on, Paul. Really, you don't mean everyone. And so you go to the Greek, and you're hoping there's something in the Greek where you're like, maybe it's just not everyone. Maybe he means something else. Nope. <laughs> it's everyone. And so here's what that means. I'm not saying you got to go and reach the entire world by yourself. That's not what I'm saying. You're like, oh, okay, good. I'm not saying you got to go reach this whole community by yourself. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is whoever is in your sphere of influence, though, is everyone. That means my neighbor. That means my barista. That means my bartender. That means my coworker. That means whoever it is that I'm around. That's who is, is my everyone. And my job here on this planet as a steward of God is to present everyone as mature in Christ. That's tough. That's hard. But he says, I want you to live that way, presenting everyone a Jesus-focused kind of maturity toward each other. That's our goal. That's where we're heading. Now, how do we exactly, how does that work? What do we, here's what I know. Living that kind of life, presenting everyone mature in Christ, putting a Jesus-toward mentality does not happen by secluding yourself and nailing every Hebrew and Greek word in your Bible. That's great, but that's not what he's getting at here. Presenting everyone with the gospel is not, I just all do my devotions, I live like a better Christian, and hopefully if I live to be like a better Christian, if I live it, then people will actually see it, and they'll be kind of like, hey, I, I think there's something different about his life. That's great. We all go back to the Aristotle thing, you know, of not using our words, but that's not really real, and Aristotle didn't really say it, so let's just put that out there. He's saying, I want you to live in relationship. And as you live in relationship with one another, you have conversations that point people toward a Jesus-focused life. 
And if I could just pick on one conversation this week that I had that I was a love, is I, I was returning something, and I won't name who just because I don't want to name names without letting people know, but I was returning something and um, had an amazing conversation on a typical Monday evening, right? Just talking about life, talking about what's going on, and then all of a sudden we just started ending up talking about what Christ was doing in our life and in my life and in his life, and we just ended up having this great conversation about what God was doing, even in the midst of just normal day to day. It wasn't like we sat down and had a Bible study right there in the driveway. It wasn't that we, you know, had these Greek, great, you know, Greek debates on this text. It was just we said, hey, what's God doing in your life, and how can I pray for you? And the struggle is real. And we got into some pretty big struggles just right there in the driveway. And I was like, man, God, God's really hitting me over the head that I just cannot get this one area of my life right. And I'm like, amen, brother. You, you can't, I can't get it right either. And in the midst of that conversation, Christ is glorified and the gospel is presented and we are maturing each other towards Christ. You see, I think it's, we, we, we've grown up maybe in a church world where we feel like it has to be in this accountability relationship in which we, we go through a book of the Bible together. And that's great. You could do that. That's fine. That's a great way to mature each other to Christ. But I'm telling you, it doesn't have to be that hard. It's just a simple conversation of what's God doing in your life and how can I be praying for you? And not just the typical church answers either. This is the fully known part. It's not just the church answers of like, how you doing? More blessed than I should be, brother. I'll see you later. Okay, great. Me too. I'm more blessed too. Nobody knows what that means. Nobody, that's, that's not interaction. That's like Christianese. Anybody, anybody can say that. Better today than I was. Great. Cool. No, I want to know what God is doing in your life. I want to know what God's doing in your family. I want to know what's exciting you about Jesus and what he's doing in your life. That's what relationships come to. And as we do that together, and as we have this relational call to our lives of these goals to be knit together in love and bring encouragement and full assurance to one another, here's what happens because of that. And we go back to 2 Corinthians to get here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're smoke, they're vapor, they're mist, they're a breath. The things that we see are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Here's what he's saying. Those things that are popular here and those, those big things that we get encouraged about and we join in to that cause or whatever it is, if it's not attached to the gospel, it ain't going to matter. If the gospel's not part of whatever cause you're championing right now, chances are it ain't going to matter in eternity. And the causes that advance the gospel will be the biggest causes you can imagine in eternity. The most popular people in eternity will be people who get the relationship right, who are maturing each other towards Christ. We're going to have things to talk about in eternity as we journey there. But he says, this is all part of that, that you will see these moment, these, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The suffering and the struggle that we are to steward is producing in us a weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. And I want that for us so badly as a church. I want us to be a church that is so known for discipleship and relationship that you can't mistake it. 
because I want real, genuine relationships here. I don't want the fake stuff. I want people who are trying to follow Jesus with his strength and for his glory. Let me pray for us. God, we know, I know, this passage is at home for me numerous times this week. I feel like I fail every single time I read this. I feel like I'm failing in my toil. I'm failing in my struggle. I'm failing to really represent you the way I should. I feel like I'm struggling and suffering, but I feel like sometimes, God, it's not because of the gospel. It's because of my own stupidity. God, I want to suffer and struggle because of the gospel, because you are the only one worth the struggle. So, God, we know that you've promised you'll be our power and our, 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 our energy as we do so. And I pray that for this church, that this summer would be a different summer for us. God, that we would present you before others, that we would live the gospel out in whatever community we are in, and that people would be drawn to the gospel, drawn to Jesus more than us. And as we do it, God, as we suffer and as we struggle, may we remind ourselves that this, this struggle that we are in is light and momentary and producing within us an eternal weight of glory that we will see one day because of you. God, help us in our struggle. Help us to live Christ well. In your name we pray. Amen.